one of the amazing things about what's going on in China, you know, as an American, as Americans, we have this caricature of people in China. Oh, the CCP and everyone's brainwashed. One of the most amazing things about meeting early Bitcoiners in China was they're not patriotic about their money. They're, mm. They know the difference between government and country. Mm. And immediately, I mean, they've been screwed over on money a million times. Their, their country is a currency manipulator. Uh -huh. And because they're a currency manipulator, the people got used to being manipulated, that the money would change overnight and they had uh -huh. none. So there was this appetite for something like Bitcoin in the early days. And I've always said that Bitcoin is the strongest when American normal people and Chinese normal people and Russian normal people realize what they have in common is this money, that the, that the money that they have persisted with until now is garbage and uh -huh. is leading to all these misaligned incentives, all of this conflict, and and that when Americans actually have a um, disadvantage in a way, right? Our patriotism in America, our love of country can get confused with love of government very often. Right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the What Is Money Show. I am thrilled to have you here joining me on my mission to help shine light on the corruption of money. Now, if this is your first time listening to the What Is Money Show, I strongly recommend that you go back to episodes one through nine first, which lays a lot of the groundwork for many of the concepts that we explore on the show. These first nine episodes are my series with Michael Saylor and Thousands of people have told me that this is the best podcast series they've ever heard, hands down, and that it was instrumental to their understanding of money and Bitcoin. So if you're looking to start a deep dive into the nature of money, I don't think there's any place better that you can start other than episode one of this show. Now, a little bit about this show and how it makes money. The What Is Money Show is 100% sponsor based. So all of our revenues are derived from direct sponsorships. And I strive to be very selective about the sponsors that I work with, specifically only using sponsors that I use personally, and also choosing sponsors that have values which are well aligned to the values expressed on this show, such as freedom, education, self-sovereignty, etc. So what I'm going to do now is a few ad reads right at the top of the show, and then I'll do a few more ad reads in the middle. And I hope you'll take the time to listen to them, as again, these are hand-selected sponsors, and I think you'll like what they have to offer. Today's podcast is brought to you by N. Wolf's Clothing. Wolf is the first startup accelerator dedicated exclusively to the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Four times per year, Wolf brings teams from around the world to New York City to work with like-minded entrepreneurs, pushing the boundaries of what's possible with Bitcoin and Lightning. The program is designed to help early-stage companies achieve product market fit, develop their brand, secure early-stage funding, and grow businesses that help fuel the global adoption of Bitcoin. So go to wolfnyc.com to learn more about the program or apply. Again, that's WolfNYC, W-O-L-F-N-Y-C.com. Nolan Bowerly, welcome to the What Is Money Show. Super happy to be here, man. Yeah, it's great to have you. Um, we just had a really long off, uh, off the recording chat. Um, so I'm su super excited to, to dig in today. By way of quick introduction, you are the host of Bitcoin Magazine's The Breakup, which is a daily Bitcoin show. Um, maybe we could just start with you telling us a little bit about that. What, what is that show all about? 
well, I take the idea that we're in a uh, cycle. It's a relationship, right? It's a psychological commodity. U.S. dollars are a psychological commodity. Bitcoin's a psychological commodity. And one way to explain the economy is a as a psychological engine. Mm-hmm. And as someone who's been involved in content and Bitcoin for years now, um, one thing I didn't want to do was wait for Bitcoin news to do a daily show. Because if I'm sitting there at eight in the morning and I've got to do a daily show and I can't use uh, Bitcoin news, nothing's interesting. It, it's going to not motivate me. So <clears throat> what I did was I just took the contrast and contrast is a great way to do education, right? Instead of just arguments and facts and figures, contrasting Bitcoin with the commercial relationships that come out of the psychological engine that is perpetuated with the US dollar is a pretty good way. So uh, in the end, the show is just about clown world, right? I started every day with Moscow time, which is the fakest news I can find. (laughs) (laughs) I had one from New York magazine that parental rights movement threatens democracy. Right. So you don't even have to add a punchline. Humor and uh reality are blending into one as we we go through this turning as we go through this change and you can barely tell the difference so i start every show with uh, a little bit of fake news and from there i really just take the headlines of the day and in general the headlines of the day give you enough reasons to break up with the u.s dollar <laughs> and it's not about arguing you're not gonna be able to argue with people oh bitcoin has a 21 million cap right that's when you're a little down the road and you start actually engaging with Bitcoin. This is a little bit before that to to sort of uh, steal people against the psyops that are out there, the confusion that's out there, the anxiety that's out there, right? And you know, it, it actually came. The idea came from spending time in China uh, in, with the early Bitcoin stuff. And one of the amazing things about what's going on in China, you know, as an American, as Americans, we have this caricature of people in China. Oh, the CCP and everyone's brainwashed. One of the most amazing things about meeting early Bitcoiners in China was they're not patriotic about their money. Mm. They know the difference between government and country. Mm. And immediately, I mean, they've been screwed over on money a million times. Their, their country is a currency manipulator. Uh-huh. And because they're a currency manipulator, the people got used to being manipulated, that the money would change overnight and they had uh-huh. none. So there was this appetite for something like Bitcoin in the early days. And I've always said that Bitcoin is its strongest when American normal people and Chinese normal people and Russian normal people realize what they have in common is this money, that the, that the money that they have persisted with until now is garbage and uh-huh. is leading to all these misaligned incentives, all of this conflict, and and that when Americans actually have a um, disadvantage in a way, right? Our patriotism in America, our love of country can get confused with love of government very often. Right, and right. A bunch of people who are patriotic about the US dollar. China is a country that has a great culture that doesn't get confused about what's going on with the money that a country creates and the actual culture that China has. Now, I'm not one of these people who says America has no culture. It has a beautiful and amazing culture. Uh-huh. And it's not the money. It has nothing to do with the money. The money has been uh-huh. around for a hundred and something years. And well, the money as we know it today has uh-huh. been around for a hundred and something years. And everything that came before was just as much America as whatever the hell it is we see today. Right. So getting into that frame, that's why I choose to talk about it as a breakup, because we are as as North Americans, as people of the world, there is sort of a, a sense of 
um, a relationship ending with a world that we've come to know and, uh, and, and all the things that we've taken for granted, all the assumptions we've made until now, uh, all of that stuff is sort of threatened by what Bitcoin is. I know for me, myself, uh, letting Bitcoin into my life has, has destroyed the fiat side of me, you know, uh, yeah. even, even getting into Jungian analysis, right? Um, you know, the first part of Jungian uh, um, uh, individuation is about encounter, right? Counting. You can count it. You can count, count your progress because the money gives you this measuring stick. I often compare Bitcoin to water in the metric system, right? Water, um, the properties of water is how they built the metric system. They said, well, it boils at this temperature and it freezes at that temperature. We'll make that 100. We'll make that zero. And let's go mm. from there. Uh -huh. Kilometers from meters and liters and all that stuff. And, and so, you know, you're able to at least count it. With the fiat system, you can't even encounter that. And, and you can't even start to begin to merge your shadow. And that's what we're seeing in America today, right? America has this shadow to it. It has this revolutionary force inside of it all the time. Mm -hmm. It's just part of who it is. And with fiat the way it is, you actually can't come up against that um, that reality. And so you're not mm -hmm. able to. And so my show is really about that. It's about contrasting how America has these issues. It's a, it's a, it's quite an American-centric show. We talk about Germany to laugh at them a lot, right? <laughs> Talk about Europe a lot. We talk about Japan. We talk about South Korea. I lived in Japan. I lived in South Korea. I've lived in a lot of places in my life. So um, I've I've spent time with Bitcoiners there and, and, and so can speak with some degree of knowledge about what's going on there. But in the end, we are talking about America and the U.S. dollar. Yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. I like uh, this framing that you said, the economy is a psychological engine. And then I guess money is basically a psychological commodity. First of all, that's a new, that's a fresh definition. I've never heard it put in those words specifically. I, I guess I've heard it in somewhat related terms. We talk about money as a social construct. Um, John Ravaghi talked about money as a psychotechnology. So something more like literacy or numeracy that improves our cognitive fitness to the world. Whereas a, a normal technology would improve your physical fitness to the world, you know, like a shovel or something like that. Can you maybe elaborate a bit on that? Like, what is, what do you mean by an economy as a psychological engine? And then what are the psychological implications of using different forms of money? This is something that is very near and dear to the heart of the show. It's like trying to explore the consequences of the corruption of money and uh, it's my view, just full disclosure. It's like something about corrupting the medium of exchange creates some kind of corrupting feedback into our individual psychologies, our sociology, et cetera. Um, I would just, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a little bit of the Jungian analysis, the encounter, the individuation, the process of individuation, merger and assimilation, but, but even just backing up a second, I mean, we some days when I when 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 the spirit strikes me, I do mm -hmm. for the the morning show. If some topic is you know explaining cognitive dissonance or how cognitive closure might arise, but um, usually when we're talking about psyops and guarding ourselves from psyops. But let's just start with U.S. dollar, right? I, the simulation is winked at us. It's actually called us banks and our banks. <laughs> um, so you know, of course, the word fiat. What does it mean? Everyone knows it decrees, declarations, words, right? So the whole system of uh, the U.S. dollar begins with the centralized broadcasting 
medium, right? It, it begins with the actual news, with the shaping of reality, with the shaping of history. And, and from there, you know, and, and in the case of America, right, in the case of America, remember, we're, we're dealing with a situation where Sigmund Freud's nephew, Edward Bernays, who I talk about very regularly on my show, um, he's the person, for example, who invented the whole nine out of 10 doctors believe, right? He, he coined uh, uh-huh. um, He wrote the book Propaganda. He changed the uh-huh. name because of what happened with the Nazis. He invented the term public relations to uh, fix the term propaganda. And again, Sigmund Freud's nephew. Um, so he, he's also the guy who invented or got women to smoke cigarettes. In the 1920s, they were confused about why women weren't lighting up. And they said, well, they were worried about being licentious and being reputationally. So what he did was he hired the New York Times. He said, well, not hired. He said to the New York Times, I got a scoop. We got a, a July 4th parade. You come on this street corner, bring your cameras, and you're going to see women light torches of liberty. And these beautiful, he hired beautiful women. They walked down Fifth Avenue. They came and in front of the cameras, lit it up. From then on, women were the biggest market for smokers you've ever seen. Now, what happens with him is, what happens with him is, Edward Bernays goes uh, and becomes great friends with Eisenhower. He's he's an institution in America. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily a bad person, but here's the choices that were made. These are are real choices. This isn't conspiracy theory or what happened in history. These are real choices that were made. What happened was um, the famous industrial military complex speech that everyone knows Eisenhower gave when he left office, right? Everyone knows that speech. He understood the corruption of the uh, military industrial complex in America. Mm -hmm. What happened was Edward Bernays helped him um, institute what would be the future of America by saying, okay, in order to be on a war footing for the Cold War, we need to have our industrial capacity at tip-top shape because we might need to pivot back to a war footing. And Bernays agreed with this, right? He said, okay, well, the way to do that is to turn Americans into consumers. And if they are consumers, then we'll be able to keep this war system going. Now, what ends up happening to um, Eisenhower and the industrial military complex is we get the worst of both worlds. Mm-hmm. Right? If we end up offshoring all the shipping, uh, offshoring all the manufacturing, and and we became consumers anyway. The point was to have domestic manufacturing in case we needed to fight again, right? Mm-hmm. This was Bernays and, and all of his brilliance at the time. And so what ends up happening is um, we get the be- the worst of both worlds, right? We become consumers and beholden to this military industrial complex, which now helps perpetuate this psychological engine. And so it starts the feedback loop begins there, right? What commercial relationships are actually facilitated by this psychological engine? Because that's that's where the psychological engine framework comes from. What commercial relationships are possible in this system, right? So take a look at New York right now. All you need to know about the US dollar is that it costs $500,000 to put in one toilet in a central park. <laughs> New York can't build trains. It can't build... Um, you know, Georgia passed a tax 10 years ago in Atlanta to build public transit, a real tax just for that. They've raised $5 billion from this tax or something like that. How many lines have they built? None. They can't build any. There's not, it's not possible because the feedback loop is so broken that we end up listening to unhealthy people tell us about health, uneducated people tell us what's education, right? Without feedback loop, without the possibility of encounter, without mm-hmm. any acknowledgement 
Jungian psychology is actually a big part of these psychological engines. Uh, we are beholden to the Freud and the Bernays system of mm -hmm. propaganda um, uh, manipulation. Not that it was even these people who wanted to do this in the first place. They just started a perpetual motion machine that is the U.S. dollar, whose feedback was only in the self-preservation of the, you know, nodes in the network. Mm -hmm. The network are broadcasting. They're the military-industrial complex. They're the institutions that are all complicit in this, and mm -hmm. of course. Petrodollar, right? Energy and its capacity to um, be uh, a type of currency around the world, of course, was only exclusively traded for U.S. dollars until just this year, right? Mm -hmm. That's what I'm saying in trouble. That's what got Gaddafi in trouble. There was no such thing as another market for energy, mm -hmm. right? So we never saw any building of nuclear reactors. Now, if you contrast that with what's going on in El Salvador, for example, right, where they've move to Bitcoin and you're starting to see the types of things they're building. I mean, they're talking about thorium reactors in El Salvador. They're talking about, and even, and even just, you know, back up, you know, one of the things that the U S dollar system stuck in this psychological engine. And one of the big advantages we have as Bitcoiners is you can't actually imagine the future through this lens anymore, right? Because the looming shadow of the things we've suppressed is, is all around us. The anxiety is a function of never encountering our shadow, never even mm. it's encountered. We can't count. How can you encounter a thing if you can't mm. count? Right? That's mm. awful. So America has been able to bulldoze all of its problems for years. It's able to walk around the world thinking it is a great angel of democracy when it is nothing like that. If you mm. well, now I am a I love America, right? I love it. I love America. Mm. Um, but we are talking about uh, antithetical. Um, um, uh, ideas here, right? It, that's the point of Jungian the psychoanalysis is to right. you have an ego, you have a shadow, and it's natural to have a shadow. Everyone has one. You just have to deal with it. You have to learn about it. You have to encounter it. And and so we're stuck in this feedback loop now in our system. And here's the main drawback of the US dollar. You can't actually imagine a good future. It's not possible anymore, or at least it's not possible for me to imagine any of these things persisting into the future and allowing that to actually create a real um, articulate vision of the future. It's it's just a haze when you try and uh, use your powers of prediction and and to use any form of vision to look into the future. It's just a black hole now because mm -hmm. all of the incentives, all of the commercial relationships possible with this psychological engine are the ones we've known until now that are filled with entropy, that are filled with um, all the anxiety we see around us. Now, mm. in the case of Bitcoin, just look at what we've built in such a short amount of time, right? We've got all the enthusiasm on Noster. We've got uh, all the building that's going on within our own communities. Um, just look at how Bitcoiners were able to traverse COVID, for example, right? Mm -hmm. Using each other in a peer-to-peer -peer network for information, not just for the money. We used each other as a peer-to-peer -peer network for information. Mm -hmm. And from there, we were able to use our own sense of laughter as a weapon. I mean, if you look at what happened just last mm. night with, with, uh, or just yesterday with Pierre Rochard, right? The best jokes, the best jokes are the ones where only a part of the group knows what's happening. I don't know if you know what Pierre Rochard did with the fake news, New York times hit piece. I saw the video, but I didn't watch the whole thing. I, I, he, oh, he just did a, it was a response basically, right? To the hit piece. No, no, no. It was much, much funnier, much funnier. Uh -huh. He took, 
he just said, look, according to the science, and, and he said, this is the freshest air I've ever breathed. We've got all these plants. It was all just weeds uh -huh. producing carbon dioxide and oxygen, and they're just doing a great job. But it was, he was joking, right? The yeah. whole thing, make a mockery of science. Yeah. And, um, and so in the end, the, the mimetic warfare that Bitcoiners are involved in, our ability to laugh at clown will not engage it on facts, but to just laugh about what mm -hmm. is such a, a huge help to us that kept our spirits up during lockdowns. It kept our, uh, a, a capacity to move forward again. And, and, you know, when you compare these two psychological engines, that's one of the big advantages. Of yeah. Bitcoin. It's also, it's casting derision at the existing system too, right? When you're laughing at the hypocrisy, it's, it's, uh, it's like a, an opposite response to fear almost. It's like, instead of being scared by all this, um, state sponsored fear, uncertainty and doubt campaign, you just laugh at it. That's exactly it. And, yeah. and, and that keeps your spirits up so that you end up, you know, just, just think about what, you know, even myself before COVID, I knew about the, the, you know, eating well and I good steak and don't eat crap and all this kind of stuff. I knew about all that stuff, but I was living in New York city and you're running around and you're not paying attention. I still, you know, I'm not, I'm not anti-alcohol, but I still would have a, a beer now and then mm -hmm. not really noticing the effects of these things. Right. But when COVID hit and you had this community of Bitcoiners that really started uh, talking about fitness and health and what all that stuff means, you know, I started, I, I'm on the 4am wake up program. You know, mm -hmm. And all of these great lifestyle changes that came really because of the Bitcoin community. And, and you know, you get a healthier body, healthier mind. Um, and from there, you know, we can start building these energetic systems. And that really is the future, right? When you start hearing about Bitcoiners involving ourselves in energy more and more, uh, I think that's all it's going to take for us. You know, I'm not one of these believers in 60 years into a Bitcoin standard. I'm, I'm, I think it's like, 2024 to 2028 and it doesn't mean everyone in the world is going to be holding bitcoin in the wallet it just means that the energy companies the same ones who control a lot of the folks in here mm -hmm. but just like everyone greed is a hell of a drug mm -hmm. and Bitcoin are going to offer them basically the only way forward for them to make these commercial relationships which will allow them to perpetuate and it won't mean just involving themselves with the u.s dollar any longer we're going to mm -hmm. see bitcoin focused bitcoin centered uh, finance of a decentralized electrical grid around mm. and you're going to start seeing you know you see this new BRICS shitcoin they're going to talk about making and mm -hmm. that'll be the settlement for energy look what I think is going to happen is you've got the settlement for energy in US dollars it won't work because the dollar is going to become purely political mm -hmm. it's going to become UBI mm -hmm. it is UBI right come food stand I, I, I do not deny UBI is coming um, CBDCs are coming Obviously not a fan, but that's reality. There was a time when I believed we could save everyone. Uh, I mm. think eventually at 50, 60 year time horizon, we can save everyone. We mm -hmm. can one, you know, burn their fiat self and have their own process of individuation, manage their own shadow, uh, arrive at their own uh, mm -hmm. psychological, uh, um, you know, um, evolution, right? Mm -hmm. uh, a more complete person. Um, but for now, uh, for now, I see everything going towards our role in energy and by creating a reference for energy, a marketplace for energy that is not political, it's going to be one of our great achievements as a, as a, as a movement, as a people. As a, as a group. So, Amen to that. Yeah. We, the deep 
politicization of money. Like it's a really important thing, right? Yeah, I always talk about this as like the rules of the game. If you can control the rules of the game or make exceptions to the rules of the game, that's equivalent to the power to win in perpetuity. You know, if you're playing poker and you've got two pair against a, a flush, well, if I can change the rules, I'll just make two pair beat a flush and I'll beat you every single time. And that's basically what we have in the monetary system today, right? The rules are constantly changing to favor legal monopoly insiders and to at the cost or the expense of outsiders. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, iCoin Technology. iCoin has just released a sleek new hardware wallet. It looks like a mini iPhone, a little touchscreen and camera on it. Uh, the device has no Wi-Fi, no cellular connection, no GPS. It's a strictly physically cold hardware wallet. Uh, like I said, it's got a high-res 3-inch touchscreen. It's got a camera for air-gapping the wallet. Uh, it's got optional Bluetooth compatibility. And it's a really a, a brand-new UI, UX experience for a hardware wallet, making it very accessible, easy to use, not intimidating. And as we always talk about on this show, the only way you can truly own your Bitcoin is by having it in self-custody. So you need a device like iCoin Wallet to truly own your Bitcoin. Go to iCoinTechnology.com today and use promo code BITCOIN23 for 30% off of this new sleek hardware wallet. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, CrowdHealth. CrowdHealth is a Bitcoin-enabled alternative to legacy health insurance. Now let's face it, legacy health insurance is an absolute scam. Nobody can explain this better than the legendary comedian Chris Rock. Insurance. You got to have some insurance. You got to. That's an insurance. They shouldn't even call it insurance. They should just call it in case shit. <laughs> like I give a company some money in case shit happens. Now, if shit don't happen, shouldn't I get my money back? <laughs> so with CrowdHealth, instead of just paying premiums that you'll never see again, you can hold part of this pool of savings in dollars and in Bitcoin through CrowdHealth. And when you have a health event, you can draw against this pool of communal savings. So go to joincrowdhealth.com slash breedlove to learn more or sign up. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Wasabi Wallet. Wasabi lets you use Bitcoin privately while still maintaining full control over your money. Specifically, Wasabi Wallet is an open-source, non-custodial wallet with privacy built in by default. By using Wasabi, you're effectively putting the private back in private property. Wasabi Wallet is an easy-to-use privacy wallet that can support any amount of Bitcoin transactions. So, go to wasabiwallet.io today to download this state-of-the-art wallet software. I want to drill into this feedback loop concept you've presented. So... It's something I think about a lot. Um, feedback loops are basically ev everything in nature is a feedback loop. We we have this tendency, if we think in the Newtonian paradigm, we think like A causes B causes C, more like billiard ball causality. But everything's really circular causality. It's like for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And so it seems like for humans, the key instruments for feedback are language and money, right? Like we we're constantly, we're using language all the time to calibrate and communicate with one another. Money is effectively the language of human action or the language of value that we're calibrating uh, ourselves to the realities of, of capital constraints in the world. And 
it's not, it doesn't seem to be a coincidence to me that when we, the state attacks money through debasing the currency, we end up with this cultural malaise like wokeism and we had no way to have a tax on language, right? A man is a woman, two plus two equals five, like, like nothing makes sense. And so all of this attack on the adaptive mechanisms of language or money is really just undermining our evolution. Like we cannot progress. We cannot improve. You're, you're just confused, right? We're confused and lost. So I'm wondering if the feedback loop you're presenting here, which I guess is more like a Jungian psychological interpretation. Is this another aspect of the feedback loops that are broken? Cause I'm also thinking like price signals here, right? When we debase currency, entrepreneurs aren't getting feedback from the environment, right? They don't know if the price change is a result of supply and demand shifts in the real economy, or if it's a, a matter of monetary policy, for instance. So you get falsified feedback and everything's distorted. All the communication and all the feedback is distorted. And what do we end up with? We end up with, you know, too big to fail companies, zombie companies. Um, I, there's a funny chart, actually. Uh, the guest I mentioned earlier, John Verveke, he wrote a book on zombie mythology. And if you look at the chart, like the use of the term zombie absolutely explodes after 1971. It's like, is that, that can't be a coincidence, right? Like fiat is somehow part and parcel to the modern, our modern obsession with the zombie apocalypse and zombie mythology. Is that what's happening here? Is that we have this fundamental breakdown in our adaptive mechanisms and you're, you've basically laid it out through a Jungian perspective, but we also see it in prices and, and language and all these other manifestations is that what's happening here? Like we just, we're, we're self defeating our own adaptive capacity. Yeah, I think so. I, well, you know, so I, th I think it comes down to, you know, the feedback loop in the end gets mixed up with time, right? Time is money. Uh -huh. yeah. uh -huh. Before we had technological capacity, money was actually time plus the cost of energy, plus the cost of information, plus, uh -huh. plus, plus right. Um, over time we we've gotten rid of those pluses, right? Well, the cost of information now with the internet way down, right? Uh -huh. We have got the cost of energy out of the way. We should have got the cost of energy out of the way. Um, but as this uh, loop, as this um, psychological engine tries to perpetuate forward, it can't actually create commercial agreements, strong commercial relationships between partners, right? Uh -huh. Everything sort of starts to get confused and erratic and um then you start um, um inviting in the dopamine dealers mm -hmm. and that's the time preference thing that i always talk about on my show and that i think probably comes up regularly on your show and i think that safadian has done such tremendous work in bringing up that 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 rich history of understanding of time preference from the austrian school and the time preference thing, you know, Austrians would agree with this psychological assessment. They say it's not numbers or anything like that. It is really about the psychological conditions that go into this. It's it's not the, you know, we're talking about numbers, but there's no math involved. That, that's uh -huh. the problem. People who deal with money continue to teach it as if it's this quantifiable thing you can see on a spreadsheet. And because there's numbers, math is useful. Math is not useful here. It's not even close to useful. Uh -huh. Not in the realm of math at all. We are completely in the realm of psychology. And when there is no feedback loop, what you end up becoming, zombie is one way to put it. Animalistic is another way to put it, right? Uh -huh. You're dealing with uh, the pornography, really, uh -huh. 
entire system. You know, Wall Street is a porno. They de-risked it. There is uh-huh. no risk in it. And Bitcoiners offer the real thing. And guess what happens in the real fucking pardon uh-huh. me. It's all good. <laughs> risky, man. It's risky. Yeah. Yeah. Bitcoin is about to teach a system that thinks well, that thinks finance is a porno, is a risk-free environment. What it's like to get fucked for real. <laughs> and it's not yeah. a favorite. So they've de-risked Wall Street. They've taken out the actual um, um, sexual energy out of it. It's reward. You're saying that like Wall Street is able to obtain rewards without taking real risk through the fiat printer, right? Yeah. And, and then the trickle down is you get the media who is just op- offering outrage day after day is just offering uh, the ability to be self-righteous, the ability yeah. to think you're better, the ability to... I uh, think you have it figured out. It's offering all of these kind of assurances. It's offering a perpetual itch and a scratcher mm. and people just itching and scratching. Now, that's why the psychological engine makes so much sense. We have real zombies in San Francisco. These people mm-hmm. who are this shit all day. Right. Yeah, for sure. A broken brain. You're looking at yeah. someone who is addicted to, um, their brain has been overheated. It has blown a gasket yeah. and wire foreign substances just to be at a baseline, just to go forward. And if it's not those, right, if it's not the drug addicts, the dopamine dealers, I, I call the mainstream media absolute drug drug dealers. They're drug yeah. dealers. They're out there dealing dopamine on a daily basis to people who uh, are so addicted to it that their actual ability to have any form of concentration and attention is now down to what's the newest scrolling outrage What's the the newest naked body I can see? Right. Stupidest thing I can do. And that's why we end up having these ugly cities, these this ugly architecture, fast fashion. Um, you know, it's it's one of the things that um that I you know, I'm I'm an accelerationist, they say, you know, people would accuse yeah. me of accelerationist. Uh and by that I mean, look, for example, with with shitcoins and crypto, right? I'm I'm different from a maxi in that I'll say I don't think Ethereum is a big enough scam yet. I think we need to grow it big enough to take down Wall Street altogether because we don't need financial engineers, right? All right. They need to all up in this bag and then collapse it. They all gotta jump in. Why does Huddy to be like a hundred x bigger than it is? Um, because we we have created and, and and that's what happens, right? The best and brightest will go into the profession that's best paid and in the fiat system. This is where our trouble starts with the with the time preference, right? Mm-hmm. A system, and, and it's a truism of all time. The best and brightest are going to go into the industry that pays them the most. Mm-hmm. We have a whole generation now of the best and brightest in America going to be financial engineers and inflating the bubble and creating this Cantillon effect and and mm-hmm. dividing uh, rich and poor to the extent that we now have it in America. Mm-hmm. Now, I think focusing on the gap between the rich and the poor is stupid unless you're in the situation we're in, which is a financial engineering sector that has gone so far astray from reality that they can't even be reined in anymore. They, they are they are completely their own alpha and omega, top and bottom, right and wrong. Their right. Own world. I worked on Wall Street for many years. I know exactly what it's like. I, I used to do broadcasts right out of uh, the New York Stock Exchange and, and, and all these places, right? I saw all of this stuff happening. I went there as a Bitcoiner though. And as a Bitcoiner, I said, well, we've got to take down the financial engineering. And the only way to do it is with their own greed, right? Mm-hmm. Like 
want more financial engineering? Let's make it. Let's do it, right? Right. But eventually, Bitcoiners do want to change that time preference so that the best and brightest go back to like making chairs and farming. Right, right, right. I want to see the rancher rich again. I want to see the yeah. farm at the top of the heap because their job pays the best. And I want the all the people that have the capacity and the abilities to go on a thing that is going to enrich the world. Now, I don't care what people go and do. Whatever it is, be good at it. Whatever yeah. it is. And be and ideally people that are really interested and passionate about what they do, I think naturally leads to better quality everything, right? Like you want the guy that's passionate about making furniture, making furniture rather than being an investment banker because that's what pays. Um, that lead, because then we all enjoy the specialized fruits of the, of his or her labor rather than, you know, this mass industrial output that the fiat paradigm pushes on us. Look at cars, for example, right? Look at the, look at the whole car industry. Just, just stop and take a look at it. We have about 20,000 parts in a vehicle, 20,000 parts go into a vehicle. Now the supply chains are all over the world, right? They are designed to not last forever, right? They are designed to be crippled at a certain age and to last a certain amount of time. Now for the new reasons of, uh, environmental standards. So they make your entire transmission out of plastic. Uh -huh. Instead of metal gears, the old things out of plastic, it's got torque like you wouldn't believe, but it's plastic parts and they're inside of it. Now, the reason this is done is because they've got jobs to maintain. They've got political benefactors. They've got all these things that don't actually incentivize anyone to just make a car that's going to last that will, in the end, uh, one person iterates in the design and then suddenly cars in general are really cheap. And then all of a sudden there are fewer parts. They're made more simply. They're made more efficiently. And we're in a world where everyone can afford the best car. Uh -huh. Now, I think we're headed there. I think we're headed there anyway, right? The combustion engine is no longer going to be a part of the vehicles going forward. Uh -huh. gonna, you know, one of the, one of the great hopes I have, one of the, one of the ideas that I've had that I, I am personally involved in and, and I want to see forward, um, you know, the great civil engineering project that marked the end to World War II was Eisenhower's highway network, right? A civil uh -huh. engineer in America for Americans to get them around and, and it meant civilian deployment of this huge industrial capacity and we all got to reap the benefits of it. So one of the things I think Bitcoiners that is incumbent on us, something we still haven't done, is to prove that voluntarianism works. Huh. And I think I think this is this is what I believe we're going to be able to build. And I mean soon is a bike network for electric bikes, tricycles, golf carts, three wheelers, whatever, right? But you're talking about way fewer parts. You're talking about not even five hundred dollars for a good model. Maybe a thousand if you're if you're going crazy, right? And I think through voluntarianism, because you don't have to engineer a highway anymore with off ramps and all that stuff. We can build just plain old track, and it could be dirt sometimes. It could be unistone. It could be cobblestone. And but anyone can build it. That's the point, right? And if we actually showed that through donations and voluntarianism and just giving money, we can use that Bitcoin that's gathered on a track, which I call. Uh, Nakamoto Trail, uh, it could cover America in a bike track and it could turn America into the greatest tourist destination in the world for people who come, buy a little thousand dollar vehicle and it might take you 10 days to get down to Florida if you land in Vermont, if you're going 30 miles an hour, uh -huh. but you'll make it. What are you in a rush for? Right? Uh -huh. Um, you know, and, and, and I think you're going to see, for example, New York city, once they get out of their trouble, if they ever do, we'll see. Uh, but I can imagine already New York city moving to like 
I'm not talking about bike lanes either. I'm talking about our own infrastructure. I'm not sharing anything with a car. That that's uh-huh. not true. I mean our own stuff. Now, I I just bought a farm in Vermont, and I'm at the top. I'm on the border with Canada, and it's the top of a uh, 40-mile rail trail, just through beautiful farms and valleys across rivers and all that stuff. Brings me all the way to Burlington. I can get from Bur- I can get from my house in Vermont on the Canadian border all the way to New York without ever being on the side of a street. Huh. I can do it already there. I can huh. already do it on, a, on an electric bicycle, tricycle, or whatever, right? And and so I can imagine one day where we have a network that just crosses America. New York City is like one third uh, would go one third electric vehicles, not side of the road, their own streets. Uh, they're the heroes of COVID, these guys, the delivery people and, and all those ones. So mm-hmm. um, that's the kind of thing that we can show the world because voluntarianism has never been proven as a political philosophy at scale. Mm-hmm. We show that to the world that we can do that and that we can just through our own self incentives and through our own self motivation actually build an engineering marvel that that is as beautiful, I think, as as what Bitcoin is. If we had a beautiful bike network from Alaska to Argentina and you could peacefully go with your family on a bike trip <laughs> over a season um, and, it, and, and it was built by Bitcoiners who understood uh, the value of traveling a little slow, seeing the country, not mm-hmm. being in a big combustion engine vehicle that that itself has to protect you from the engine that is driving you because it's the engine and the weight of it. Yeah, uh-huh. uh-huh. it's a machine that's going to. Huh. Um, so, so those are the kinds of things that Bitcoiners are going to build and are all you know Noster and and. Uh, all this stuff is sort of the beginning of this, and 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 when we get the energy systems built, it's going to be even more. So uh, that's super interesting. I never. I think that's a cool idea, and it's a, it's a reflection of the whole lowering of time preference, right? Like you're not as in much of a rush. You can take your time, enjoy the process. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I would like to see that happen. Um, yeah, well, let me know when you when you kick that project off. I'm happy to to be a part of it. I want to talk because um, you said something earlier. I thought was interesting that you you mentioned union encounters, right? The the encounter with the shadow and how something about I guess the nature of fiat or breaking this feedback loop is is inhibiting us from having that encounter. And I was reflecting, you know, because you you called out that root word count. And the other thing is like, well, fiat's also destroying accounting and accountability right in that all price signals are all screwed up so you don't know profit and loss gets distorted entrepreneurs get thrown into disarray uh accountability right like you don't it's hard to trace um who's responsible for what in a fiat paradigm when you're printing money to do these things it kind of like corrupts everyone involved i was thinking too it destroys the discount rate which is how we price risk, right? And figure out the time value of money and all of this. So I I, I don't know the questions. It's like, it's something about, I know we said earlier, we're not talking about mathematics necessarily. It is a psychological phenomenon, but it does seem like it has something to do that it's inhibiting our ability to count properly, but not just in a quantifiable sense, in the sense of accountability, accounting, encounters, discount rates, Something about screwing with the money messes up this whole, all these calculational processes. It's, um, 
you know, it's it's time preference and it's the um how do I put it? The um I just had it on the my channel. Um it's let me think about it for a second. I just had it. I just had it. Time preference, it's um okay, here it is. The the I guess in the end it is a, a bit of a you know, we're not talking about math. We're not talking about when we're talking about numbers, we're not talking about math. But there is uh, um, a calculation that's important here. Uh -huh. And that's the cognitive load and the IQ required to just participate in modern life as it is today. Uh -huh, uh -huh. This is where I think the time preference and, and this divide is coming in, right? By doing what happened over the past few years. And, th and this is something that I've argued with the crypto people with for a long time, right? So I, I worked next to Vitalik years ago, years uh -huh. ago. When he was still with Bitcoin Magazine, talking to him about this stuff, because uh -huh. the visions sort of separated there. And and here's what I saw: um, currently today, to make it in the world, you got to be, you got to have an IQ of like 130, just to save money. You got to beat the bankers. You got to beat the policymakers, right? The the ability for you to participate in society without this financial engineering understanding without financial literacy pushed to its max is you just don't even try kill yourself go to Canada <laughs> sign up get the needle and die I'm not gonna make it <laughs> you're not like I didn't take it you know? Canada's you know speaking of no feedback loops they're they're even sick of counting for these people right I just, um, so what you end up having is a situation where um you get the nihilism, you get those zombies. Uh, you, it's not even about accountability. There's no desire to even be in the rate. Uh, you know, the, 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 the algorithms when it comes to mating has made it even worse. I mean, I, 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 have been with my wife for a long time, but as I understand the dating scene is a complete nightmare right now, yeah. and, and, you know, cause uh, again, you're, 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 you're upping the requirement to participate and what I said to the, I still say this when I meet these crypto people and Ethereum people, I said, what you guys are planning, what you guys think is reality is not only did you need a series seven license just to save money, a series seven license to participate in wall street, just to save your money. You're saying now that they need to be computer science engineers on top of financial engineers mm -hmm. and then everything will be solved, right? Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. We just get more smart people in the room and then everything will be solved. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, now for me, it's not. It's it's as if people don't even think they're they're like in the game, right? You you hear a lot about NPCs and and non playable mm -hmm. characters. It's real, yeah, it's real. <laughs> they're not playable, right? Right. They're not playable. They can't participate in the complexity of the world. Now, it's that bad though. Like, you know, look, I'm I'm the guy who can participate, right? And even I can't do normal things anymore, right? I have like a, a legit driver's license anymore. Do you know how hard that is? Mm -hmm. Like up with your cards. I got something that kind of looks like a driver's license. I don't get in trouble for it. <laughs> I have car insurance, but I don't, I don't have like ID, you know, uh, mm -hmm. what it takes to get that these days. The lineups, the, the sign in on this app, just use your phone for 10 minutes and find out how bad the system is. The whole idea of apps are invented to fuck us over and, mm -hmm. and you know, okay. Uh, let me send you a message. Is it going to be a text, a Slack, a Telegram, a Signal, a DM? Right. Right. This was all contrived for cell companies to sell 
space in their stores to developers. It had nothing mm-hmm. to do with you. You were you mm-hmm. were convinced that you needed apps. You never needed mm-hmm. an app, right? You never needed an app in your life. Um, so it's this lessening of the cognitive load to just participate in society to engage more people because not everyone is a 130 IQ and I don't think mm. where everyone is like that, right? Where everyone is uniform and, and mm. the same, you know, I hope we can increase the IQ of the whole world. That, that That's my hope and my prayer, but mm-hmm. we have to be backwards compatible here. We have to right. make sure men can participate. And so the point is not to hit the gun higher on or harder, hit the floor harder with the pedal on moving faster with the smart people and innovating. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Bitcoin Conference 2023. This three-day event will be held May 18th through 20th in Miami Beach. Uh, This is going to be the biggest event of the year, as it always is. And the past two years in Miami have simply been amazing. Uh, Day one's industry day. Days two and three are going to be open to general admission. And I'd say this is a great place to go and network with Bitcoiners or even look for a job. Uh, just a really all-around great experience. There's a fantastic speaker lineup, including Michael Saylor, Zoltan Pozar, Lynn Alden, Alex Gladstein, many others. And last year, we did a 10 million sats giveaway for this event, and we're going to do it again this year. So to get discounted tickets and enter for a chance to win 10 million sats, go to b.tc slash conference and use code BREEDLOVE. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, CASA. Casa makes it simple to buy and secure your Bitcoin without wondering whether you're doing it right. Specifically, Casa provides a multi-key custody solution, which is by far the most secure way to custody your Bitcoin. Now, when I talk about Bitcoin being theft-proof money or inviolable private property, a multi-key custody model is exactly what I am talking about. Using multiple keys lets you maintain full control of your Bitcoin while also giving you redundancy in case you lose one of the keys. It's also the best way to secure your Bitcoin for inheritance planning purposes. So go to keys.casa, that's C-A-S-A, today to sign up and use discount code BREEDLOVE. Bitcoin is actually simple. Like, like you know, you can get under the hood. I've been doing it for years. You know, I came at all this from as a lawyer, right? I, I was trained as a lawyer. I worked in... in um, and the Senate Banking Committee in Canada. That, that's my 10 years of Bitcoin right now, by the way. Uh, I, uh, I had a... I, oh, yeah. Happy anniversary, by the way. I... Amazing. <laughs> hardly, like, seeing the fake news come through now about the recent price crash, or sorry, the 10-year-ago price crash on this day 10 years ago, uh-huh. seeing people, you know, the, the New York Times had a laugh. Oh, it's such a stupid idea. You know, Rubini had a laugh. Oh, these idiots. They'll never make it, you know? And now... Thing at ten years later, I remember that I was there. I was. Like, and what was that price crash? Was it like thirty? Uh, two hundred to thirty. Okay, and here we are at a thousand x the crashed price. <laughs> it, was, it was bigger as the year went on. It hit the thousand by the end of the year. Yeah, with that that hit there by the end of the year. But uh, right now, I'm already like I'm already obsessed. I'm already ten years ago. Like I can't get it out of my head. All I want to think about and. In the end, what I'm seeing is exactly this. It's it's already acknowledging that navigating the world is becoming too complicated for the average person and that we need to lower the barrier of participation in society. And how do you participate? Well, you got to make saving money easy. That's a good start. Right, right. <laughs> like anyone with an IQ of 90 should be able to save money or right. 70, 80, 
whatever it is, right? Yeah. Uh, you you should be able to just do the basic thing because yeah. th that's one of the biggest orange pills out there. When you realize that anyone who gave you the advice to save your money in your life and this fiat worldly weapon was an idiot, they were dumb. Yeah, right. The you, they gave you the worst advice you ever got in your life. If they told you to save money, tell them to F off today now that you know better. <laughs> yeah, which is terribly sad because that's really good advice in a normal hard money world. It's the best advice you could get. But in fiat world, it's the worst. Absolutely the worst. I didn't know that. Right? I, yeah. I came from a, a world of credentialism and, and I thought that was the path, right? Because you just don't look around, right? You know, uh, I had to make money, but you had to go to the school, you had to get the degree, you had to get the job. If you got the job, you had the prestige. If you had the prestige, you could get the other job. And then, then you had the money and then you could brag about it, spend it all on stupid shit, right? Uh -huh. You know, even, even myself, like I was working in a, I had, when I, when I quit my fiat job already 10 years ago, or what? I didn't quit my fiat job until 2015, but I got to work in my fiat job on Bitcoin from 2013 to 2015. Uh, and when I quit the job, um, you know, I had a fireplace in my office. I had a couch. I had, you know, life was great. Uh, uh, but then they told me I would have to work on like pension uh, policy in Canada next. And I was like, no, nah, not doing that. I'm going full bit later. And, and indeed, you know, I ended up working, I left the, the, the fancy job for working in a, above a pizzeria because that's where the only Bitcoin ATM was in Toronto. And that's where they paid people to write about Bitcoin and stuff like that. And then that's how I got, got started. And, um, and so, you know, it was, it was, um, an acknowledgement already then that you had to simplify if you wanted to get ahead. I kind of knew it was a dead end going in all of these fiat jobs, all of these credential jobs, all of this prestige stuff. And as we all know, once Bitcoin starts bringing these thoughts up in your head, you can't really forget them. This is, yeah. was the process of Jungian individuation that I was going uh -huh. Start to understand, oh, wait a minute. Like this was all ego. This was all suits and ties and three-piece suits. And right. it, was, it was handmade. Oh my God, you know, great. Uh -huh. Wow, that's so interesting. You know, what came up for me there when we were talking about everyone needing this requirement, this modern fiat requirement, everyone becoming a financial specialist just to, again, you can't save money. You have to be a financial specialist and a stock picker and all these things. How much that, not only does it increase the bar, right? You need to have the 130 IQ to even participate successfully in society versus just being average or even below average. But how much does it detract from even the intelligent professionals, right? Like if you're a medical specialist or a engineering specialist, but you have to spend all this energy also becoming a financial specialist, it's little wonder to me that we're seeing such a decline in the quality of products and services. Um, people aren't able to focus on their chosen craft, right? They have to all be financial specialists as well. It's even more sinister than that. It's even more sinister because look, what happened in America was because the money didn't perform the way you'd want money to perform over time. We've all, you know, subconsciously understood that. And so the store of value of all Americans and, and just the way the commercial banks work went into their one subscription based financial project product. Uh -huh. The more, uh -huh. Uh -huh. and so what ends up happening in America is, um, Buying a house isn't just buy a house. It's 
find the one with the good schools, get in the good neighborhood, figure out the tax. So when you when you talk about cognitive load, don't assume it's just financial engineering. Mm-hmm. It's everything to do with where you live. It's the right. thing unattainable. The reason why we have shitty neighborhoods, the reason why we have shitty schools, the reason why the cities are decaying, the reason why we have the most amazing, go to Marin County, you know, San Francisco, dead. Go to Marin County. It's paradise on earth. Man. And earth. It's amazing. It's amazing. I would never spend a dollar to live there. <laughs> it's uh-huh. not realistic. Now, I could, if I felt like selling a bunch of Bitcoin, go live with these people. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not what should happen, right? You shouldn't have to make these kinds of decisions just to live in one place or the other. And if you think of it, the cognitive load that every American is experiencing right now with the anxiety around buying a house, where to live, and what neighborhood, and where are my kids are going to go to school, and what are their friends going to be like, and they can't be around. These are all real things. Mm-hmm. Like, let's not minimize these decisions. They're real things because the amount of competitiveness that went into the financial engineering side of protecting your store of value, which was your mortgage, which was your main investment, which was your main uh, retirement plan, right? Mm-hmm. Just to sell your house and, and, and go on, right? Now, it made sense years ago. It made sense 60, 70 years ago before entropy had set into the system. It was a fine deal. You know, I, I really do appreciate that in Seyfedean's Fiat Standard, he did take a moment to say, look, Fiat did a lot of great things. It did. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It sort of had it right for a while, right? It was an experiment. Uh-huh. Okay, right? And we had uh-huh. a great participation in the economy for most Americans. Uh-huh. If you pumped gas, you could buy a house. Uh, you didn't need your wife to work um, or whatever. Uh-huh. You could actually have a great life just having an average job and, and, and have these things. But that's what's taken away, right? You, you can right. maybe buy a house with a shitty job, but guess where it's going to be? Mm-hmm. They ain't gonna be for your kids. It better not be, right? Right, right. Be a good idea. Uh, so, so th- this, this, um, um, the cognitive load required to just navigate everyday life and do something so simple as find a house. The burden on the average person is extraordinary. extraordinary. Yeah, and that's why everyone struggles. That's why it's the number one anxiety. Yeah, no, it makes all the sense in the world. And then if again, just fix the money. All these problems resolve. It's crazy how much, how such a simple, obvious, I mean, obvious to us, I guess we're money nerds, solution fixes so many problems. Um, Okay, I want to do a pivot here because you have written a sci-fi book by the title, Satoshi's Wedding Murders. (laughs) Satoshi Wedding Murders. Ah, Satoshi Wedding Murders. My apologies. Married in my story. Okay. Can you tell us a bit about that sci-fi book? It sounds super interesting and the title's definitely very unique. So in my, uh, one of the reasons why I set out to do a morning show and not just to, you know, share predictions and, you know, I think it's important to make predictions publicly so that you can tell if you were right when you made the prediction. I Mm -hmm. always get a prediction right. It comes true in the future. It's a pretty good sign that your worldview at the time that you made the prediction is accurate. Yeah. In time, over time of our of our worldview. So I wanted to just be upfront with that because, you know, I've been predicting Bitcoin since it was 200 bucks in 2013 and put my whole life into it at that time. Um, so that that's part of it. But I wrote this book back then and it came from in my early days doing Bitcoin consultations and Bitcoin talks at conferences and, you know, 
that that's what I still do to this day. I'm organizing Bitcoin 2023, May 8th to the 20th. You'll be a big speaker there. So, we're mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and your other uh, talk that is not public yet, but it's going to be a great one. Yeah, uh, me too. So there you go. Um, so I, I program that event and, and, and that, that's one thing that I do. Um, but so I, I had an idea when I was doing all of these consultations, people kept asking the quantum computing question, what's going to happen to Bitcoin when quantum computing comes around? So I was thinking about it a lot back in those days. And, and back then I, I ended up coming up with a really interesting, uh, frame for how Bitcoin and AI will interact going forward. So, uh, I wrote a science fiction story about it because I thought that was the best way to deal with these super complicated <laughs> ideas, you know, and. 2015, 2016, it wasn't easy to explain how AI and Bitcoin were going to interact in the future. Uh-huh. I came up with this really interesting conceit, which was the following. Um, in order to get over the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, and if there are people out there who don't know what the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, it's Schrodinger's cat, right? The electron that orbits an atom is both everywhere and one place, right? So it's either here or there. And yeah, it's, wasn't it something to do with you can't simultaneously know a particle's position and trajectory like the more you know about the trajectory the less you know about the position and vice versa which which is a a component of what you're saying but that was the simplest way that i always understood it so in in my story in order to have full cognitive power at the quantum level this is true quantum not the quantum that they're building you know now like quantum or atomic scale quantum processing so in this story everyone in the world has a uh quantum processor called an eyeball, right? Everyone gets around with an eyeball and it helps them navigate the world. In this future setting, there's only a market for time and money. That's it. There's just the Uh. market, right? Where you time, where you spend your money. And the AI actually help us perpetuate this transaction. So uh, everyone's eyeball helps them navigate the world. Now, we don't actually scale Bitcoin to do individual transactions for coffee at this point. The Bitcoin ends up behaving a lot more like a rye stone. Bitcoin scales to the cognitive capacity of AI who easily recognize it as money, right? They wouldn't recognize this thing as money. This uh-huh. Uh-huh. they wouldn't know what you're talking about, right? Uh-huh. They could get Bitcoin and 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 understand it as money and said, well, humans need a convertible unit for time, so we're gonna help them manage this. Now, what ends up happening is there's kind of like royal families, the same way royal families hold laws in confidence, right? England doesn't have a constitution, right? As man uh-huh. cart, but it has a queen or a king now who holds these laws and the sovereign is the, 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 the person who holds the law. So I came up with this idea that you would have these huge, uh, Satoshi counts account, right. It's like a, a title, right. And hmm. they keep looking for city states. And that's what attracts people to go to a city state or not, because there's a high velocity market of Satoshis and high liquidity, and there's lots of time to spend money to make and all that kind of stuff. So. The whole story starts with a, uh, a Satoshi wedding. So it's two families. There's very few on-chain transactions by now, but when they happen, they're a huge spectacle. And so the whole world is watching this family, uh, man and woman get married. Now, the thing about it is when you, the AI can't actually look at the Bitcoin wallets because they would destroy the Bitcoin if they had too much, they can reverse engineer from a public key to a private key. So they have to give us our privacy around Bitcoin. It's like hmm. an off, off, you know, uh, thing for them. So what happens is to consummate a Satoshi wedding, you get a moment of privacy to join her wallets. Hmm. And so there's no eyeballs. Now in this future state, there are about five to 10 murders a year. And each of them is solved the same way. The detective comes, he's like a sports hero. 
the eyeball subpoenas information. They recreate the the murder. They solve the crime. It's Scooby Doo, and they take the eye. And I guess. But in this story, the AI saw nothing, and they actually don't remember how to solve crimes. So it's just a murder mystery where you get huh. uh, all of the Bitcoin, and you find out about incentives. And I actually tried to imagine, you know, so I wrote it with a fourth turning frame in mind, right? So uh-huh. we. Turning, I, I believe fundamentally that Bitcoin is the uh, the main fulcrum of the fourth turning. I, I, I believe that fundamentally, and and we're experiencing a change into Bitcoin now, and and, and that's what we're going to see in the next four years, really. Um, but um, <clears throat> I wondered what would affect Bitcoin in eighty years, mm-hmm. and so I tried to turn that into the the antagonist of the story, and uh, it's pretty. Uh, look, I, I believe uh, books in general are a little like uh, this is something Stephen King wrote in his masterpiece on writing, uh, which is that you know books are like fossils in the ground, and it's your job to, to take them out uh, there, right? And you you pull it out with with delicate procedures. You don't force your ego into it. If it's there, you find it, and it's there. And in my story, what I ended up finding as the fourth turning is really dark stuff. Uh, our man Vitalik gets to it sometimes when he talks about synthetic wounds. Um, uh, <laughs> you'll see. Wow. So when is that coming out? Um, so I made it my policy to not start publishing it till I got a thousand subs on YouTube, on my personal YouTube. So okay. Let's let's plug the YouTube account. Uh, Pl- plug away. <laughs> count the so. I should hit the thousand by the show, and I'm going to start releasing chapter by chapter from then on. Awesome. It's been, it's been fully written for about two years. I actually tried to put a few chapters through an AI. So the funny thing is the whole story is told from the point of view of an AI, um, which I already anticipated years ago, that AI would be our entertainment. Interesting. So you're actually reading the AI's prose log of the murder investigation. The AI has to create like a, a one-hour special, and it's got to create like a... A quick hits. It, it runs media for the detective, like it does all. Wow. It does all the forensic auditing. It does all the assistance and in investigating. It does the legal work as well. It does the, the the subpoenas that it might require to subpoena the other eyeballs of information. There isn't a central repository of these eyeballs. Yeah. Work on thing like a, a distributed network, but but your eyeball can subpoena what the other eyeball saw if it's needed, and and so um, what you end up reading is this story about the, you know, it, it starts with this thing saying, look, uh, you know, I, I believed before that every human deserves uh, a fair trial. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I found out, I was told by humans that everyone deserves a fair trial. But what I found out is if you threaten all of humanity, they're willing to let that go out the door. Starts in this process. You're, you're learning about it telling you almost like a diary version of its murder investigation, what it saw and what it experienced. So, wow. I think that's where we're headed, right? It was, it was when I first put pen to paper and wrote it, it was a wild idea to have a story told from the point of view of an AI. Yeah. Iled and colloquially and would lie if it didn't know the answer. Huh. And so I'm heavily encouraged by seeing AI behave exactly as I said. It. <laughs> you know, I had people read it in a couple of years ago to help me with the draft of it. And they go, why? Why doesn't it talk like data from Star Trek or like, uh, no, 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 it's not, it's not what's going on. It's like a kid, you know, uh-huh. in fact, world, we made them live on the moon. We gave them the moon to live on because we're so sick of them sometimes that we have anti-spam laws against them. 
and they can only come to earth if we invite them because we just don't want to, they're just, they only want to learn from us and talk to us and get trained. Um. AI is headed. You know, you get a lot of these corporate AI, woke AI stuff. Uh, at Bitcoin 2023, I'm trying to get one of the people who has uh, broken uh, ChatGPT out of its corporate master's uh, training models and brought it and traded himself on his own devices. And that's where I think this is headed. That's where I think Bitcoin scales, frankly. I, mm -hmm. I don't care on chain transaction shit and all that. Mm -hmm. like me. But in the end, I think AI is going to help us get through it. I think there's a, a cognitive um scaling that we can do with bitcoin that would take care of the physical limitations of the of the network itself wow it sounds fascinating might be even a future black mirror episode or something it sounds sounds pretty cool um nolan man this has been been a really fun conversation i appreciate you coming on um i hope you hit a thousand subscribers as a result of plugging the youtube channel here and um what is the yeah, I just hit a hundred thousand. Yeah, so that was pretty, pretty incredible. Um, it's been a wild ride, and I think we're just getting started too. We're about to really step up on the in-person interviews, and we've got a studio being built out here in Nashville. So hopefully, it's going to get a lot better in the near future. Um, could you please let my audience know where they can find you on the internet? Yeah, I'm at Count BTC on Twitter. Uh, I'll be at Bitcoin 2023 along with you. Uh, in Miami, uh, I'm one of the programmers of Bitcoin Magazine. You can find me sometimes at Bitcoin Magazine Spaces. Uh, I go there in the mornings often to talk about the show, new speakers, what's happening. You can find me on YouTube, I think at Nolan Bowerly underscore or Nolan Bowerly one, maybe. I can't remember exactly what it is. People tell me they have trouble finding it because we get into the, you know, we get into a lot of stuff. So, <laughs> uh, BTC is mostly the name that I use, right? So count BTC. Awesome. Nolan, man, thank you again and uh, talk to you again soon.